0: We are turning now to God's Word and we're uh, continuing our uh, study through the Gospel of John. And uh, the last couple weeks in the Gospel of John, we've looked at the story of the resurrection of Jesus uh, and his uh, appearing to his disciples. And so we're in the the next uh, paragraph of uh, that that chapter. And so again, another appearing. And this time, uh, the focus is on Jesus' conversation with his disciple Thomas. And so we're going to pick up in John 20, starting verse 24. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along right there in the bulletin. This is the word of the Lord. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the Hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for um, your word that is so uh, honest, shows, shows such uh, awareness of the human condition, um, of our inner life, of our thoughts, of our our doubts, our, our troubles. And and yet there's both a uh, uh, challenge and there is mercy, there's grace. Um, and uh, we see that especially in this passage in our Savior, Jesus. And um, so we pray for your Holy Spirit now to instruct us as we, we open our, our hearts to your word and um, that you would form in us both faith to believe these things, but also obedience to follow our, our master. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are uh, we're looking at the story of Thomas, the disciple Thomas' encounter with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And it's because of this passage uh Thomas has famously been called Doubting Thomas because of that line there in verse 25 where he says, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my f- finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So Thomas is a skeptic. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of factors that play into why does. Uh, a person struggle to believe in Jesus, believe in the Bible, in God's word. And it's complicated. We're going to talk about uh, some of that in this sermon. But because of the complexity that goes into why all of us have doubts, um, the Bible says a couple things about doubts. On the one hand, the Bible never celebrates doubt. And that's an important thing to know in, in our generation. We live in the, in the, the age of authenticity and where you know, we value above all things people being authentic. And so we not only want people to be honest with their doubts, which is, is a good thing. It's good to talk about your doubts and to work through them. But we insist that people's doubts are affirmed and validated as well. And that's something that, that the Bible uh, uh, never does. But it is absolutely important for Christian people to have space to talk about and be honest with the doubts that they're facing. And you need to have the humility, you need a support structure in place to help people work through those doubts. We hope to have that in our church. But even though the Bible never sees doubt as a good thing, the book of Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Which means there are going to be people in the church who have doubts. There's probably some of you. I don't know what doubts you bring into this worship service today, Uh, what doubts are ringing. Maybe you don't even know what they are. Maybe your doubt is just a sense, a feeling of uncertainty about who God is and what his his word says. Well, I think uh, what this passage is is precisely mercy for those who doubt. And it turns out that Thomas, who's the main doubter in this passage, ended up becoming a great missionary who traveled all the way to India, the far ends of the earth, to tell people, about the grace of Jesus. And so one question is, how did Thomas the doubter turn into Thomas the great proclaimer of the grace of God? Well, it's because Jesus shows mercy to doubters in this passage. And, um, and so today uh, we're going to talk about uh, doubts. And specifically under these three headings, as we look at this passage, the source of doubts, the answers to doubts, and the healing of doubts. The source of doubts. Where do doubts come from? When do they start to stir up in us? The answers to doubts. How does Jesus address those doubts? And then finally the healing of doubts. What does our life look like when doubt is healed in us? And, uh, and my hope is that if you're here today suffering through doubt, you'd find both challenge in this passage, but you'd also find the, the gentle and lowly hand of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. Uh, to to help you through them. So three points this morning. The first is this, the source of doubt. Where do doubts come from? And I want to highlight three sources of doubt from this passage this morning. So first, first source of doubt is the doubts form in isolation. Doubts form when we are isolated from community. And you see that there in verse 24 where it says, Now Thomas... One of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so this is a fairly simple observation. The scene begins by saying Thomas was not with the other disciples. Uh, the community of disciples had come to believe that Jesus was alive. And, uh, and at least part of Thomas' doubt was because he wasn't with them. Which tells us that faith is formed in community and doubt is formed in isolation. Faith is formed in community with other disciples and and doubt is formed in isolation. And sometimes, you know, people will say, well, I just, I need to get away from the Christian community to clear my head. Maybe that's you. you. If you've grown up in the church and you'd say you know i've just been immersed in this community all my thinking and the way i view the whole world i grew up with and i and i just need to like understand these things for myself and and maybe it's an unhealthy christian community and sometimes that's appropriate to say i need to extract myself from a community and really understand like who is jesus and what does the bible teach and who is god and that's an appropriate thing to do but make sure then that doesn't result in isolation you got to find another community of people who believe God's word, sincere people who are loving, who are faithful. Um, people, let them have a voice. Worship with them. Be in community with them. And don't find other people who are doubting and swirling with doubt as well. Do not say, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Do people ever make good life decisions like that? When they say, I'm going to figure out this, this out on my own and I don't want anyone to speak into it. Proverbs 11 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. I love that, that in community, there is safety is the word. It's not just success or, you know, progress. It's safety. And doubt usually comes from hurt or disappointment. When other people have hurt us or disappointed us, our temptation will be then, people have hurt us, I need to figure this out on my own. And Thomas is vulnerable to that in this passage. Of course, Thomas has been following Jesus for the last three years. He's uh, given his life to Jesus. I want to follow him. I trust him. He's my Lord. And then Jesus was crucified by the religious leaders. And so there's been a massive amount of disappointment for Thomas. And, and, and so, of course, he's going to be like, I'm, I'm not sure I want to believe this. I'm not sure I want to open myself up to this. So when we are tempted to distance ourselves from God's people it is likely when we need them the most when we are tempted to distance ourselves from god's people it is likely when we need them the most and so first doubts form in isolation second thing we see second source of doubt is that doubts also form through ignorance And by ignorant, I don't mean that someone's stupid. I I simply mean that doubt comes from not being informed, like not having good teaching, not understanding what God's word says. And so you see that in in verse 25 where it says, so the other disciples told them, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And I think that there's at least a part of this passage that that's an honest question. You know, people don't usually rise, people don't rise from the dead. And Thomas needs help making sense of what the other disciples are saying. And that's uh, without a doubt something that every Christian has to do. You, you know, how does all this make sense? And the, God leads us, uses our doubts to lead us into a, a deeper understanding of who he is. And that's why it's so important to not ignore your doubts. When there is something unsettling to you about the Bible, you read something, you're like, "I, I wish that page was not in the Bible, or I wish I hadn't heard that. You don't ignore it, because what it's telling you is this is a part of the Bible you don't understand yet. This is the place where you need to grow, and the very fact that it unsettles you means that this is the place where God is going to work in your life and, and, and uh, reveal something new to you about who he is. And I feel like so much of my understanding of the Bible, I'm, I think I'm a doubter. You know, questions are constantly coming up from the in the Bible. There's constantly things that unsettle me. And I'm amazed how lovingly God answers those things. And I discover the place where I had a difficulty is where the best discoveries are just around the corner. And I remember uh, my math advisor, I was a mathematician before being a, a, a pastor, and when I was in graduate school, the, uh, uh, my advisor said that the best, best mathematicians are not the mathematicians who are good at solving problems. It's the mathematicians who are good at asking interesting questions and then solving them. It's both pieces there. And so one of the most important things for dealing with doubt is good teaching. Many of the questions that you ask about the Christian faith, Christians have asked throughout history. They're common questions to humanity. They're all, they're all questions that we've had to wrestle through, and there are answers to them. and you need to learn those answers. We cannot stay in ignorance and then expect to not have doubts. And uh, some of that is learning that Christianity is a comprehensive worldview. It actually explains everything about who God is and what his world is. It teaches how to be human and how to live in his world. And I think secondary to that, I think just understanding the Christian faith is the best thing to to help deal with doubts. It, It can be helpful also is apologetics. Some of you have probably read apologetics books, books about like science and history and philosophy that show some rational justification for why Christianity seems to be true. But I think the main thing is just understanding and connecting the dots about what our faith is about. The Christian life involves teaching and doing the intellectual work of having it all make sense. Okay, so first, doubts come form in isolation, so we need community with other faithful people. Doubts form in ignorance, so we need good teaching to answer our questions. The third thing we see in this passage is that doubts form through self-protective vows. Doubts form through vow-making. And I want to explain that to you. Um, you see in this passage that there's a statement from Thomas that it sounds like he's making a vow. You see in verse 25 again, the end of verse 25. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You hear I saying that? I will never believe. And even though we might think it's an honest question to have some evidence of Jesus being raised from the dead, there's something deeper happening in Thomas here. Because actually many people throughout history will believe in Jesus without actually touching his hand or touching his side. That's all of us. We believe in him. And then Jesus even says in this passage, it's an absolutely healthy and wise and perfectly reasonable thing to believe in him without actually touching him in person. You see what he says there in verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about us. We're the blessed people that all these years later we heard the report and we believe this has to be the truth. Jesus is alive. And so what's the something deeper that's happening in Thomas? And I think it's in those words, I will never believe. And the word never has the strength of a vow to it. And one of the things that many of us are not even aware of in ourselves is certain vows that we've made at points in our lives. You know, if it's common if, if you've been hurt by someone close to you, you know someone who you loved, someone you wanted their approval, someone you trusted who violated that trust, and it really cut you at a deep level. And it's so painful that you then say, I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm never going to let someone have that kind of access and power to be able to hurt me like that again. And, of course, that might be appropriate for that to protect yourself from whoever had hurt you. But there's a danger in over-applying that vow and say, it's not only I'm going to protect myself from that person, I'm going to protect myself from everyone. I'm going to protect myself from God himself. And if you have taken a vow at some point in your life that I'm never going to let someone have that kind of access to me again, how are you ever going to come to trust Jesus and to say to Jesus, I will obey whatever you tell me? I will trust whatever word you say. I will let you into my inner emotions and into my thoughts and be my guide. How could you ever trust him? And many people who say they have intellectual doubts about Christianity aren't even conscious of the fact that they have taken personal vows that they don't even remember. And those vows are informing not just their relationships with people, but their relationship with God as well. It's an act of self-protection. And it's ultimately a way of saying, I don't need to trust God to protect me. I trust my, I protect myself. And you can see that how this relates to the other sources of doubt. If you say, I protect myself, that's going to encourage you to isolate and not invite others to come into your life and to speak into your life and to the most important things that are happening in your heart. You're going to keep people at a distance, And if you say, I'm going to protect myself, you're going to find intellectual arguments that help protect yourself and and keep your ideas and positions and make sure that no one can challenge you or give you new ideas. And what all this says is that the dynamics of doubt are incredibly complex and mysterious. As Pascal said, the heart has its reasons for which reason does not know. And because of this, I know, you know, as a pastor, I would never assume that I know why someone is having doubts stirring in them. It could be that they've been isolated from community and they need community. It could be that they just don't understand the Bible and they need some good teaching. It could be that there is some time in their past that they're not even aware of, that they took a vow that says, I'm not going to trust anyone, including God. Now, I might have hunches about what's happening in someone's doubts. But Jesus is ultimately the one who does understand what's really happening in each person. And it is Jesus who comes to meet Thomas in the midst of his doubts. And he is the one who is able to answer those doubts. And so that leads to our our second point is what then are are the answers to doubt? What, What is Jesus' answer to Thomas' doubts? And there are two things I want to highlight from this passage. First... Jesus gives Thomas peace. And uh, you see that there in verse 26 where it says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Now notice, Thomas is back with the community. Now, it's a good sign. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. The answering of uh, Thomas doubt. Begins with Jesus speaking peace over his disciples, which I think makes sense. You know, if if doubts are often tied to like a defense mechanism, you know, to protect ourselves from being hurt, you know, and we've got our walls up, we've got our fists up, we're ready to protect ourselves, then the first thing that's going to happen in order to come to any understanding about Jesus is we need to be disarmed. You know, we need to let down the defense mechanisms and, and the walls. And the way Jesus does that is he speaks peace. This is safety. You have peace with God. You have peace with him. He's not your enemy. You don't have to have your your, arms up, right? And that's, of course, why it's so important that the church is a place of peace. Because people are going to come in here, and when you talk to someone about God, you are talking about the most intimate part of who they are at the very core of their soul, their creator, the purpose of why they exist. And if someone is going to let us talk about the most intimate part of their whole being, there has to be a sense of peace and safety and love and kindness and gentleness around them. And so we have to be a community of peace uh, in order for people's doubts to be answered. So you see the wisdom of Jesus here. The first thing he does, he speaks peace. Okay? So Jesus gives Thomas peace first. Then Jesus gives Thomas evidence. And that's the second answer, is that Jesus gives Thomas evidence. And you see in verse 27, it says, Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Jesus, as a grace, as a mercy to Thomas, gives him evidence that he's still alive. He says, all right, touch my hand, touch my side, see that I'm here. Okay. And um, I think that modern people can uh, tend to think that there are basically two options when it comes to their relationship with God. It's either you have blind faith and you just believe what the church says and believe the Bible because it's the Word of God and don't ask any questions. Or it's I have verified with my intellect every argument and I now know for certainty that the Bible is true and I could prove it to you. Airtight argument. We think that those are basically the two arguments. And, but the Christian faith is about a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And relationships don't work like that. You know, you think about my relationship with my wife Shannon and uh, that she loves me and the trust that I have that, that she's faithful to me. Can I prove that through philosophy or you know, through a rational argument that is airtight? Uh, can I go into her soul and see every thought that she has? Can you imagine building a relationship with that level of suspicion that unless I can get a fully airtight argument, I will not trust you? You can't build a marriage like that. You can't build a relationship like that. That's not what a relationship is. But I could give you countless evidences that she loves me. She walked with me through hard times. She's known the encouraging words that I've needed to hear at key moments in my life. And so we don't just blindly trust one another. But it's not like an airtight proof that's going on. That's how a relationship works. And so when it comes to God, the key question is not, can I prove every assertion made in the Bible? No. We can explain a lot of assertions in the Bible. The key question is, when you behold the man Jesus Christ in the scriptures, do you trust him? Do you think Jesus is trustworthy? The man who says, I am God, the man who welcomes the outcast and heals the broken and, and forgives sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, when you read about him, do you trust him? It's not a blind faith. And just as in my marriage I have countless evidence that my wife loves me and says who she, she is who she says she is, if you walk with Jesus and study his word, you will find countless reasons to trust him. He will give you evidence like he gave to Thomas. And actually, this passage tells us that this is the whole reason that the gospel of John was written. The gospel that we've been studying is the eyewitness account of Jesus' best friend, John. Who's, I, I was with him. I, we had an I- intimate relationship. I, I was with him in all these um, uh, scenes in his life that no one else was a part of. And you see what it says there in verse 30? John tells us why he's written all this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. You see this eyewitness account which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus shows mercy to those who doubt by speaking peace over them, disarming them, and giving them evidence of the truth of the gospel that confirms that they can trust him. Okay, so what we've, what we've said so far is what are the sources of doubt? There's isolation. We need to be in community. There's ignorance. We need good teaching. We need understanding, connect the dots about our Christian faith. There are also our self-protective vows that have said, I'm going to keep people and I'm going to keep God at a distance. And we need to l- let go of those vows and begin to trust God. And so what are the answers to our doubt? Is Jesus speaks peace over us and gives us evidence that he loves us, that he is alive, and we can trust him. And so this leads to our our final point, the healing of doubt. What does our life look like when doubt doubt is healed in us? What does life look like when we're freed from doubt? Well, there are two things I want to highlight in this passage. Faithfulness and worship. Okay, so first, healed doubt looks like faithfulness. And I was talking to Pastor Jonathan about this passage. We were studying it together. And he's much more savvy with the original languages of Hebrew and Greek and the Bible. And one of the things he pointed out to me was that uh, when Thomas says in the end of verse 25, I will never believe, it's a different word from what Jesus uses in the end of verse 27. When he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. What Jesus says is more literally, do not be unfaithful but be faithful. He's saying, stay loyal to me. And I wonder if what Jesus is getting at here is is the, the reality that in your Christian life, you're gonna have questions. You're gonna have doubts. You're gonna have things that unsettle you in your Christian life. You're gonna have times where it feels like God is absent. There will be times where you have no idea what God is doing. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to promise that that will go away in this life. What he is saying in the midst of it, remain faithful. Keep going to church. Stay connected to your home group. Keep praying. Keep reading the scriptures. You know, I, I keep gathering with believers. Healthy spiritual life doesn't look like you never have doubt. It looks like remaining steady through those questions. And there's a, there's a great part in C.S. Lewis's uh, screw tape letters. Screw tape letters, uh, fictitious collection of letters written from a devil named Screwtape to his nephew who's like a younger devil who's learning to tempt Christians and in one of the letters this is what Screwtape says he says our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will that's God's will When a human no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and still obeys. That's what even the devil knows that the worst thing is that as Christians, we're gonna feel like God is absent and we remain faithful. And the healing of your doubt is not that you feel God's presence every moment of your life and never feel disappointment or despair. The healing of your doubt is that you remain faithful through that disappointment and despair. The disappointment doesn't harden you. The disappointment and hurt doesn't cause you to say, I'm never going to trust anyone ever again. I can walk through it and stay soft to God and stay with Him. And so, first, the healing of doubt is faithfulness. But I think even deeper than that is that the healing of doubt is worship. And when Jesus appears to Thomas and shows him his hands inside, there's this great line in verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas' response is not intellectual. He doesn't say, oh, the arguments have satisfied me intellectually and now I will accept your philosophy, Jesus. No, he falls down and he worships Jesus. And this verse is important because Thomas says uh, that Jesus is God. He says, you're not just some man that has come back from life. You're not just some teacher who has the right philosophy about how to live. Jesus is the God who has conquered death and sin. And the doubter has become the worshiper. And the healing of doubt is not that I can answer every question. There's no way you could answer every question that you're going to have about God. And when you come to a place of worship, what you're going to realize is that every question is now a doorway into knowing more about who God is. And guess what? The questions aren't just going to be in this life. For all eternity, you're going to have question after question after question because you're going to, you could spend eternity exploring who God is. There's going to be new mysteries. And every new question you're going to find out is not an opportunity to distrust God, but an opportunity to move closer to him and to move deeper into the mystery and beauty of who he is. And so worship gets to the heart of doubt, because the main issue with doubt is it sees ourselves as standing above God as his judge. Does he meet our intellectual demands? But in worship, we are put in our proper place. We recognize that God is our creator. He is the potter. We are the clay. How can the clay pot judge the one who formed it? And when we worship him as creator and savior, our confidence is no longer in our ability to prove every doctrine of the Bible. Our confidence is in the God who has loved us in Jesus. And so even though doubts form in our isolation and in our ignorance and through self-protective vows that we've made through our lives, the answers to doubt are the peace and the evidence that Jesus gives And they have the power to heal our doubts to make us faithful worshipers of Jesus. So in your doubts, don't look to an argument or a philosophy. Look to the only person who is worthy of your trust. And he will heal you. And you can join Thomas in worship and say, My Lord and my God, let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray for my uh, brothers and sisters here. Lord, you know um, the struggles with doubt that uh, we bring here in our worship. And uh, Lord, I pray that um, the loving mercy of Jesus who speaks peace, who seeks out Thomas, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would seek out those who are here, who have doubt. And I pray that um, your Holy Spirit would uh, ease their hearts to be able to trust you and to listen to you. And Lord, um, we pray that we would be faithful um, through the, the difficulties, the disappointment, the unsettling. But ultimately, Lord, would you make us a people of worship that every question we have about your word and about your ways in the world would lead us deeper into who you are, that we might worship you more. And so we give you thanks for these words in Jesus' name. Amen.